Hi, I'm Rachel Rillinger. I'm an accredited Tai Chi Cha instructor or teacher. <laughs> and if it helps, yeah. I'm here to talk about how Tai Chi Cha has changed my life. Okay. We were literally just talking about the fact that I just went to a class a couple of days ago, you taught. Um, and maybe the first thing to get out of the way, maybe every time when you t- tell people I'm an accredited teacher of Tai Chi Cha, you don't have to say teacher. You obviously you could say teacher, but it's cooler. Um, they're like, what is that like Tai Chi? And so do you have a boilerplate elevator speech you give to explain, no, it's not Tai Chi, it's different in X way, or no, no, it's blah, blah, blah. How do you, what do you do? Yeah. So I say Tai Chi Cha is a moving mindfulness practice. It circulates your chi, your vital force. It is not exercise. It is not a martial arts form. It is a moving meditation. And it has changed my life. Um, How much before Tai Chi Cha had you looked into or experimented with at all Tai Chi or did your interest in Tai Chi Cha come out of something completely different? So I'm really fortunate. My aunt, Terry Jennings, she lives in Hawaii, but um, I saw her a lot growing up because I grew up in California. So Hawaii is not quite as far as it is now that I live in Kansas city. (laughs) Right. Um, And she has practiced. I think she's been accredited since the nineties, maybe even earlier. I'd have to ask her what year she got accredited, but I grew up watching her and I would see her do it. Every time I saw her, she would be doing it at some point. And then sometimes she would do it with me. And so growing up, I would do a little bit of Tai Chi Cha here and there with Terry. And then once I became sort of a teenager and had a little more adult-like interests, I asked her to teach me more. And then when I was an adult, I asked her to show me the whole form and she taught me the whole form on a few different occasions. And then I started practicing daily and noticed the huge benefits. And then I realized I wanted to be a teacher because it changed my life so much. Um, and here we are <laughs> accredited so, Tai Chi Cha instructor. <laughs> I did not know that I didn't know how old it was. And I didn't know that your story with it goes back so far when you saw her doing it and were curious about it. Was anybody else in the family or any of your friends, did anybody else look at what Aunt Terry was doing? And they're like, oh, I'm curious about that too. Or were you the only one in the family that was like, I think that looks kind of cool or that resonates with me? Um, Yes. So my cousin, Terry's daughter, my cousin Summer, she was definitely embarrassed about it. (laughs) I I know this is being recorded. So now I'm worried I'm saying something I shouldn't be saying. You know, just when we were kids, you know, and your mom is doing Tai Chi Cha and when you're a kid and you're worried, oh, that looks funny. And, you know, this isn't standard practice to see people doing Tai Chi Cha in the park, you know, or I do it anywhere. I do it. And I'm I definitely do get people looking at me and asking me questions and I do it in the airport. You know, I do it in lots of public places and I'm happy for people to ask me what I'm doing and have an interest and I'm happy to share what I'm doing. Um, but I know there's, you know, people that are a little embarrassed doing things like that in public. I'm not one of those people, but <laughs> I know my cousin was when she was 
an adolescent when already your mom is embarrassing for any reason. It doesn't matter what they're doing. Correct. It's your mom. It's not, I feel like it's not, wasn't the Tai Chi show. It was just teenagers no. are embarrassed by their parents. Right. So, <laughs> so there's that. I know my mom, her sister, um, you know, would try it here and there, but wasn't, you know, she doesn't practice regularly or anything. So it, it didn't quite latch on for her. Um, so yeah, it was just so, so it was to go back to your question though, it, um, the forum came to a man named Justin stone uh-huh. and it was developed in 1974. So it is a very new form. Um, but the form came to him. So Justin was never like, I'm, you know, this is, I'm a, this is a doctrine or I'm to be worshiped that I came like, it's not that it's, it came through to him and he just shared it. He's passed now. He's no longer alive. Um, so Justin, the form came, you know, we learned it from Justin and now it's carried on through accredited teachers Yeah, is yeah. sort of the hist, a brief history of Tai Chi Cha. And you can find the Tai Chi Cha Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's where Justin taught and founded the center. So that's sort of like it's, it's home, it's home base, it's birthplace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I go back to Albuquerque pre-COVID. I would go back and do, and that's where I was accredited. And I would do, there's a, a woman there who teaches, her name is Carmen Brocklehurst mm-hmm. and she's still my teacher. And she was like, Justin, she was always with Justin. So I feel like I'm learning next to the best source, you know, the closest to the original source through her. Um, and she hosts retreats and such in Albuquerque pre COVID, you know, there hasn't been a retreat since COVID, but I meet with her online now. You, you weren't, you weren't there for kind of the origin story, but is there an, a story that's told about how this, how Justin Stone received this? How, how did, how did this happen? Did he tell a story or do people tell stories that hmm. about the things you've said? He said, you know, maybe my memory is not my forte. And I, I feel like I've heard, I mean, he studied, he went to India, he went to Japan, he did so much, he he has lots of books and he's a composer. Um, But he, and there, and he was doing Qigong practice. Uh So he was doing other forms. Um, Qigong is the closest Qigong and Tai Chi Cha are, are like almost the same thing in essence. Um, but they're, the way you do them is just different. So for the total newbie is, so normally when you're, when you do it, you're, you demonstrate this and then someone is either in a class or they're curious, they see you and they ask you what it is and what are you doing? And you kind of explain it because it's, it's not a, a, a mental exercise or not primarily a mental exercise or not a mental exercise at all. It's doing something else for you in the way you understand it. What are you doing in Tai Chi Cha? What's, what's happening? What are the kinds of movements you do? What do you think, what do you feel is happening in your body with the energies, with all that? So a lot of Justin Stone's books are about Buddhism and I also practice Buddhism and Zen Zen practice for his books. But to answer your question, I really want to say Tai Chi Cha does Tai Chi Cha. 
that's what I'm doing. I'm allowing Tai Chi Cha to do Tai Chi Cha. <laughs> so it's probably not the answer you want to hear, but it's the truest answer actually. So the more, when you're first learning Tai Chi Cha, there's a lot of, you know, what hand goes where, and there's a lot of thinking, Right. but right. as you dive deeper into it, it's such a deep spiritual practice that has connected me with everything. And so that's why I say Tai Chi Cha does Tai Chi Cha. Like when I'm not sure about something, or if I'm looking for an answer, I really just need to listen. And then it will be there. But she will speak to me when I'm ready. Does it in that way, does it feel so the practice, obviously, when you start the practice, it's just like it reminds me of sitting practice and in uh, in Zazen, you know, how you're supposed to sit. There's different schools about what you sit on, how you're supposed to sit when you do your meditation. Mm-hmm. There's all those. No, rules. it's not like that. OK, it's yeah. not like yeah. that. No, I don't relate to that either. So I don't personally practice that form because of that. I don't feel so strict and rigorous. Yeah. Yes. I like, so like, and you know, when Brent, Brendan was just at my class recently, I tried to really tell people this is meant to be joyful and comfortable. So I can practice Tai Chi Cha in my bed, laying down. If I really wanted to mentally, I can practice it everywhere, but it's a, it's a spiritual practice too. It's not just this. So when I meditate, there's so many ways to meditate. And the way I practice is a very open, it's not sit still, you know, go to a silent retreat and sit for 12 hours a day. You know, it's for me, that's not it for me. It's cultivating compassion, loving kindness, cultivating connection with myself and the universe and everything, all sentient beings. So when I meditate, I can be doing walking meditation. You know, I can be, I can do sitting meditation. There's so many different ways to meditate. Um, and that's what I love about Tai Chi Cha is it's rooting and connecting to that source. So like when, when you first asked me about what we're talking about today, yeah, and I sort of said Tai Chi Cha and <laughs> Tai Chi Cha can relate to everything, actually, because for me and my spirituality and my spiritual beliefs, when I think of God or the supreme ultimate, whatever that means for other people, for me, it's this source of light and love and joy. And Tai Chi Cha connects me right to the source. It brings me home. And when I connect home, then I can be here. So I think it's (laughs) from the traditional Western standpoint, approaching things like this, I think, I feel like in the Western world, bodies are regarded, modern medicine feels very much this way. Bodies are regarded as complex machines and your brain, of course, your brain and your spirit, your thoughts, they're all part of your body in a way, but obviously the split between body and mind is very strong in the Western world. And I wonder what you're talking about, things about kind of connect, feeling connected to the universe, connecting with energy. 
those things feel like they could be cerebral and nothing to do with the body, but Tai Chi Chess specifically sort of incorporates the body into that. And I think that is different than even from sitting meditation where yes, you observe sensations in your body, but you're not trying to do anything with your body. You're supposed to see the sensations and have the sensations go. You're not sort of involved in a thing with your body. And that's how you're feeling connected to the universe. It's usually my brain feels connected to the universe because I'm having some whatever state of, of enlightenment, I'm feeling some heightened sense of awareness of the world. And it feels like it all comes from the brain as opposed to the body. Does Tai Chi Cha do something different than that kind of brain, just cerebral enlightenment or just emotional enlightenment? So yes. And I would (laughs) challenge that. Well, I say that because for me, I can connect the same way through meditation, but you're right. For some people, they have a very hard time getting out of their brain and getting out of their head and connecting. And for some people, yes, meditation is like, oh, I'm going to get to a place and feel, you know, let my thoughts go and watch my thoughts. And they don't get to that part of connecting to, and that might not be their goal either, right? Not everybody's intention for meditation is that. So I think there's also intention in Tai Chi Cha Definitely. You know, before I did Tai Chi Cha and I would meditate and stuff, it was more of that, like, oh, I feel, I do feel, I feel nice now, you know, or I feel, I feel, but Tai Chi Cha, I will, I'll say this to be more clear because what you're saying is like, yes, that's exactly right. Tai Chi Cha has helped me get to that place. Cause it is a moving meditation. So they're the same thing in essence. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause you, you keep talking about meditation. Like it's different. Well, it's interesting in your experience <laughs> with meditation, I've, there are meditations, there are walking meditations, but oftentimes when we think about this, the Westerners look at the stereotype of meditation, it's someone sitting without moving. It, they're sitting without moving. So clearly that doesn't involve movement. Most but tell, so tell me more about the kinds of meditations you've right, experienced like in your years that aren't quite like that. Yeah. Like that is a kind of meditation, <laughs> right? That, that's correct. I do that. I engage in sitting meditation and I love it. And I also do walking meditation and Tai Chi Cha, even dancing meditation or painting meditation, music meditation. There's so many ways. And that's where I think I wish more people were uh, more, more images of that, because I think that's what usually puts people off and people are like, Oh, I can't meditate. I can't sit still for more than a minute. And they get put off like, Oh, I, I don't want to do that. I don't have the time for that. I'm never going to do that. And you know, they're Western, you know, like I got to move and I'm doing this and I just, I can't even do that in my life. And so something that I taught in the class that Brendan was actually just at last Monday, we also, we, I followed Tai Chi Cha specifically with a mindfulness and meditation class to talk about, to talk more about that and to delve deeper into it because we did essentially meditate when we were practicing Tai Chi Cha. But since it was a first time class for so many people, they likely spent most of the time in their head because it was all new. Right. So this is an opportunity to connect. So like Justin Stone would do entire meditation retreats. And part of Tai Chi Cha is, um, sorry, I'm going off track now too much. No, no, not <laughs> I at all. I want to get back to my original 
what I first started saying though, cause I, I'm like losing that thought something about, I just, um, I, I, I tend to be able to help people more find their interest or engagement in meditation by reminding them that you can meditate throughout the day. So this was something I taught the class on Monday is you can have brushing your teeth meditation. And what that means is that while you're brushing your teeth, you're simply being present. Meditation is, is meditation and mindfulness are about the same thing. Um, when you're brushing your teeth, you're noticing, oh, this is how, like, I actually just got a new toothbrush and it's yeah. so exciting because it really hugs my teeth. <laughs> And I notice it and I can feel, oh, this feels tingly here. And when I pay attention in the tune, then my brain actually gets to relax into that moment of being present. Or like today, I went for a walk with my dog and I just would stop, you know, my dog would stop to smell something. So I stopped. I took that opportunity instead of being like, no, I got to get my workout in. I got to keep walking. I just stopped and I noticed the sun on my face. And I felt the warmth on my skin and I took a breath, which was so, I take one now just saying it, it was so amazing because I've been having issues with allergies. And at that moment I could breathe and I didn't sneeze and it didn't feel like pressure in my head and what a gift that was. So stopping in those little moments, it just took, you know, 10 seconds to stop. And then I kept walking and, you know, it's, it's just about being present throughout my whole day differently is where the mindfulness piece comes in, but that you can turn everyday little moments throughout your day into little mini meditations like telephone meditation. So if your phone rings, you hear the ring and you take that as an opportunity to take a breath and breathe for just a meditation can be, you know, one second long. It doesn't have to be a, a length, you know, there's, that's all where that, you know, that image you're talking about where people are thinking, well, I have to sit for 30 minutes on a cushion and not move at all. Right. And like you said, there are some sects of Buddhism or there's, you know, I, I, I don't have any experience to talk about those. That's just not how I practice. So. Is it. So again, from the outside, I can imagine someone from the outside looking in, it just sounds like slowing it just sounds like slowing down it just sounds like slowing down is it just slowing down what what's happening between the rush of the normal way you might have taken that walk and the more meditative way you did is it just slowing down are there other components to the experience that come yes so two things there yes it can be slowing down but that also doesn't mean you have to slow down your life it's just doing your life differently. So when you go to the bathroom, instead of, you know, um, your brain going like, well, okay, I got to go to the supermarket and what do I have to buy and earlier or, or texting on your phone because it's an opportunity, you know, you don't want to waste a moment of your day. It's saying, okay, for this one minute, if you're going to whatever, you know, you're doing in the bathroom, just use that as a chance to stop. So it's, so Yes, you could slow down. I could stop with my dog while my dog is sniffing whatever, and I could just stop and I could just be thinking, right? And I could be worried about, well, yes. I really got to get home. I got to do this. That's not what I'm talking about. So there's a difference between just 
taking life a little slower, that's a, that's just taking life slower, whatever that means, as opposed to actually being mindful and attuning to, Hey, where's this opportunity? I'm waiting for the elevator. I'm waiting in the grocery store. Like I remember someone, my, my brother actually used to live in China Mm -hmm. and I think it was his wife. I can't remember who told me this, but they would, they talked about in China, you know, you'd go to the train station. There'd be like a really long line of people waiting at the ticket counter. And he saw someone cut the line completely, go to the front, do whatever and leave. And nobody was upset about it. And I think this, I think it was his wife who was like, well, they must've really been in a hurry. They must've had an emergency. (laughs) There was this like, as opposed to being upset, like, oh, great. I just got cut off and I'm standing here still waiting and following the rules. It's like, you know, I don't know what's going on. I can accept what happened and just stay here. Does that kind of make sense at all? Yes. It's all about like how you, what lens you choose. And this is actually something (laughs) in my job. um, I work at the Lilac Center and we are a dialectical behavior therapy model. And a big part of that model is mindfulness. One of the skills of which is radical acceptance, which is kind of what I'm alluding to right now of, but there's also this piece of what lens. And a lot of times when I'm teaching people this skill of like, you know, I remember one time I, my toenail, my toenail, has been removed multiple times. It doesn't grow back anymore. It's pretty much gone. And when this first started happening to me, I was in college, I was younger and I was so sad. I was like, "Ugh, my beautiful toe, my toe is so ugly now. Now I have no nail and I had these beautiful toenails and I was really upset about this aesthetic value I had, right? There was no functionality that changes. It was purely an aesthetic I don't look, this doesn't look it anymore. And I was with my now husband at the time and he was just in the hospital earlier in a room with somebody getting their skin grafted. And he was like, yeah, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) You know, he was like, yeah, I was just watching someone get their skin grafted. So yeah, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not so like understanding the problem, (laughs) you know, like, how can we put this in first? Like, how can we change the lens? So like now I take, I use that as an example. Like when I go to get an MRI, I actually take moments and I sit there and I have gratitude and I'm like, wow, I'm so lucky. One, I have insurance to cover this MRI Two, There's a machine that exists at all to look at my, you know, to look at my brain this way. Um, you know, and three, oh, it's like I have a little break, you know, I have like a little babysitter. So I can sit here and do Tai Chi Cha and relax as opposed to like, uh, why do I have to do this? I wish I didn't have a problem at all. I wish I didn't have to be here. It's so loud in here. I have to sit still. My back hurts. Does that make sense? It, it's yes. not denying. There's a fine line of like, that doesn't mean denying when things suck. And that's the, that's the line that some people it's a hard time to read like, Oh, I'm just looking at life with a rose colored lens and I'm just ignoring everything bad that happens. That's not it. It's accepting and 
holding space for things that suck in life and being aware and present for them. And we can be more fully present for those moments when I'm fully present for all the other moments. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, um, so Tai Chi Cha yeah. helps me do that. Full circle. So that is I interesting. Never told the story. Yeah, I have a totally different story. <laughs> what what you describe what you described kind of at the end there. So I I think I've I've dabbled and delved into many of these things in philosophy, psychology, self-care, mindfulness, meditation, religion. Some of these things are sort of mind games. And I always wonder. So the thing you're talking about, like sitting and thinking, well, how can I be grateful? Like that's just using your imaginative capacity in your normal reason brain to imagine things and see if you feel better if you do that. Or, I mean, you're just, which is, it's a brilliant strategy, but it seems sort of cognitive reason as opposed to whatever's happening where you're kind of taking in the sensations of the world, like the toothbrushing thing that might pay attention to the sensations you have as you brush your teeth, what that's like. And that seems, I don't. Yes, no, you're right. What's happening with the brain. I think you don't have to be a neurologist or anything about it, but I mean, for you, how does it feel different to think and worry? And how does it feel to think and imagine gratitude or think and imagine your way through? I'm not going to be mad about this person cutting in line. I mean, I do these things a lot. I find they're immensely helpful but they seem like um, part of the reason brain, like raining, yeah. putting the reins on the reason brain and getting the reason brain to go in a new direction, as opposed to, I don't know, some other connection I imagine I'd have with the universe or my body or energy. Yes. You are very like apt and picking up all these and noticing them and putting them into words because you're exactly right. I'm saying these things And there is so much of a cerebral component and what am I doing in my mind? How am I, you know, sort of this, how do I not let my mind take control over my life? Yeah. Like, like you are, uh, there's a saying that's, um, what is it? Um, don't believe everything that you think, (laughs) you know, um, but you're absolutely right. And that's the story I actually really meant to tell that I got off track is it is so much easier for me to do all the things I just told you about that were mental, ha- mental um, uh, skills um, when I connect. Without the connection, those only go so far. So there was a, a Tai Chi Cha retreat I went to mm-hmm. several years ago. And oh, this was actually right after, soon after I moved to Kansas City, which was six years ago. And I was really struggling because I'm from California. I love to do things outside. And all of a sudden I moved where there's no mountains and no ocean. <laughs> right. and I felt very landlocked and trapped. And I was like, very having a very hard time, you know, and I went to the Tai Chi Cha retreat and they could see I wasn't grounded. And one of the teachers there, her name is Dora. And she gave me the most amazing advice. She said, you need to go home. And I was like, well, I don't like my home. It's in Kansas city. And I don't (laughs) want to live in Kansas city. And I'm really, she's like, no, you need to go home. 
And this concept of home, this place inside of me, that's not even me. And that's where my Buddhist practice comes is this all like the energy of love in the universe that's in me, that's in Brendan right now that connects us, right? It's like the concept of even from a scientific mind-based approach, everything that is on earth right now has always been here nothing has changed. Like the same, like the water, there's actually the same amount of water right now on earth that there's always been. There's no more water. There's no less water. It's just a put in different places right now. Yeah. Right. So from like a purely scientific standpoint, the world, everything is connected just from a scientific standpoint. Right. But when you get to that connected feeling, when you come home, you're like, wow, this is even so much bigger than that (laughs) or not, or it could just all be in my head. But what I feel, you know, in that acknowledgement, what I feel is that connection. So there's a, so when, when uh, you first asked me about, (laughs) about death, there's a book by Thich Nhat Hanh called No Death, No Fear. And he advises how there is no, you know, when someone dies, right, their physical body dies and the, whatever it decomposes or it, however, and then that turns into something else, right? And then there's this life. So there's always this presence of the energy constantly. So from that viewpoint, you know, it's a death of the physical body because the physical body only can do so much, Um. I had a point where I was going with this. Oh, so my son, my son asked me is several years ago. He goes, is a shoe alive? (laughs) And (laughs) it is a great question. And of course I asked him like, well, what do you think? You know, I turned it back on him and let him explore it. But me and my partner, my husband have different answers to this question. My husband is a very like logical only reason, only mind kind of person. I mean, he connects to his body too, but not in the same philosophical philosophical sense that I do. Sure. You know, for him, like life is, you know, it has to have a pulse or blah, blah, whatever, like science defines his life. And for me though, I was like, well, there's, there's atoms in there, right? There's part of, there's energy in the shoe that's moving around. It's not, you know, so I think it's alive, right? Isn't everything alive in some sense? <laughs> I'm trying to, (laughs) so I can basically, I completely agree with that sense that, I mean, the thing I like about Buddhism also, I sort of went down the rabbit hole with, um, there's this uh, Buddhist philosopher, Nagarjuna, and he was uh, just obsessed with basically pointing out how nothing is. The end of it was nothing is, it's that famous thing you get from the Zens, which is first there's mountains and rivers, then there's no mountains and rivers. And then when you're done, there's mountains and rivers. They're just different. He's not, it's not denying that things are, but it's sort of going down the rabbit hole of denying the disconnect between all the things. And then coming back to where you are again, you being relative Rachel in this giant world and still acting as Rachel and thinking as Rachel and living as Rachel, but knowing you're connected to all these other things in some way, it's a bit of a, you know, to, use a, a expletive it's a it's sort of a mind fuck but i don't it's sort of the way things are there's a there's a grand everything 
And there's a relative everything. There's the you, there's the me, there's the table, there's the people, there's there's your, your partner saying, talking about life. Well, life has a pulse. And in one way, that is absolutely true, right? Life has a pulse in one sense, in one relative way. All life is determined by, you know, it's got to be living. We just cut it into a box and put this in a box and say, this is alive and this is not because it's a useful box. But I think what you're talking about is well, those boxes really aren't separated. And you should probably always keep that in mind. Yeah. Yes. There's actually the, the, at the class, I wore a shirt. I love a Tai Chi chest shirt that says flowing from emptiness. <laughs> a lot of people see it and they just don't say anything. They're like, Oh, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. Cause it is that Buddhist concept of like, everything and nothing, you know, I actually, my, my kids, you know, Halloween is not that far away and we love Halloween in our house. Um, I love play and imagination. And I, I, that this would be a separate conversation when we relate it to death, because I don't like that. They, that for Halloween, death is supposed to be scary. Right. (laughs) Like that's the problem in our culture is that we don't embrace that right life yeah. death birth everything is so actually the more we can talk about it maybe it wouldn't be so scary it's still scary like don't get me wrong i'm terrified you know like as the buddhist i'm still sitting here like it's still i'm not at a place where i'm like oh yeah i'm totally accepting of that i'm not anyway the point i'm getting at is we were talking about what to dress up as and i was like i could you know, my, my son said this year, he doesn't want to be anything for Halloween. Okay. And I, he want, he doesn't want to be anything. And I go, maybe I should be nothing like, like dress in all black or all white. And I was trying to remember which one was like the presence of all colors versus the absence. And I was like, boy, right. this is a really exciting philosophical costume. Like, how could I dress as nothing? <laughs> what can I do to display nothing and everything all at once? <laughs> so uh, I love punny costumes. <laughs> I love that his, I don't want to be anything. I mean, the, well, then what do you, what, what do you want to be? You don't have to be anything. What do you want to be? You don't have to, you could be nothing. And what does nothing <laughs> look like? What is nothing? There's a, there's a, there was a great um, Buddhist conversation, uh, lecture I went to where they talked about c- colors and they talked about, you know, how, you know, when does green become blue? At what point does that transition happen, right? There's this whole prism of colors, but in the end of it, all of it is still perception, right? Yes. It's what we're perceiving as colors. So then you get into the whole debate about like our brain and, you know, don't believe everything you think. So. Yeah, because I think they're taught, I mean, those things are also, those are learned concepts because there are some cultures that grow up with a more varied understand. They recognize different shades than we do. It's not to say your eyeball is perfectly capable and your brain is perfectly capable of appreciating the difference between those two blues, but you can't do it on a normal basis because you don't have any practice in discerning between those blues. Whereas other cultures, people grow up discerning those colors differently and they see them all the time and they can talk about them. So yeah, it is. Some of the, the line between blue and green is arbitrary and color and based on your culture and I don't know, your eyeballs and the lighting and your, yeah. Oh, it's like my the paint in my downstairs. I have a downstairs area. It's hard to describe what it is, but I assumed it was a blue paint. 
and we had to patch a hole the plumber had to bang a hole to get to a pipe and so we patched it so when I went to to the store to get more paint and I had the paint an empty paint can with the color and I go to the paint store and I get the little sample size of the paint color and he takes out the dipstick you know and pushes it on I go oh that's not the right color that's gray he goes well this is exactly what you gave me I'm like but it's gray and he goes yeah you put gray in a certain room with certain light and it looks blue (laughs) and that is it Brendan (laughs) like that's it (laughs) I do like the fact you came back the Tai Chi Cha you know sort of talked about things during your day that you think better and then you're like but I'm not able to get there unless I have this time is it the time it, when you are doing it, are you not yourself in the same way that you are when you are driving or talking or other things? Uh, have you unwound something? Are you letting something go? Is something else flowing? Where, where are you when you do Tai Chi Cha? That's a great question. So as the advanced form of Tai Chi Cha is called Sejaku. And what I've been practicing weekly with Carmen is about teaching Seijaku. And Seijaku, you do something called toning. And and the idea behind practicing Seijaku and Tai Chi Cha is that when you do this tone, you hear a tone and that the tone stays with you all day. Okay. So if I were practicing and I was, if I were at a level to carry it with me all day, that is the goal. And I've had some days where I carry it for a lot of the day, but most days now I'm a mom with two kids and they're stuck. You know, I get, I do, I get distracted. You know, I get pulled in, I watch TV. I do a bunch of things that pulls me out of that place of centered groundedness and connection. So to me, like when we think, oh, the Buddha or the monk or this person that's enlightened, it's that person who can actually do that all the time. So I would love to say, Sejaku helps me do it all the time. It does. It helps me do it a lot more. And certainly like if I'm in a situation where like I'm having a hard time making a decision, you know, I have two very good choices, but I have to still decide. I literally Go to my Dantian, which is your energy. That's where your chi powerhouse is, two inches below your navel. There's like this, like a big sphere of energy. When I can connect to there, because I've practiced and cultivated this, I can go there and find that home and be like, okay, this is what my body's telling me to do. I've already, you know, I've put on paper all the pros and cons and I've mentalized it as much as I can. Right. But in the end of it, they're both good choices and I still have to decide. Right. So the more I can connect to that place, the better life feels, even when life sucks, even when there's pain and horrible things happening, I try to go back and operate from that place. Does that make sense? Yes. When you, when you describe these practices to folks who are just kind of curious about it, or maybe dip into it and then sort of recoil when they try it. Do you meet people who are a little phobic about whatever that experience is of letting go, whatever that experience is of trying to maintain a center instead of sort of being in that driving, reactive, 
you know, forward, forward, worrying, backward, regretting zone, the normal zone that kind of many of us live in, where they recoil and kind of they just they have a negative experience with this sense of centeredness. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's the scent of centeredness. I'd say people are afraid of being alone okay. and being alone. Like the idea of being with that feels scary because it feels like you're alone when actually it's the opposite of that. You're with everything, but it feels at first, it feels scary for a lot of people and vulnerable. And I remember the first time it was like, sit with your fear. It's like, oh, no way I'm going to do that, <laughs> you know? And then I sit with it and then I cry because it's scary. And I sit with it and it doesn't mean it goes away, but it means I can sit there and accept it. But it's kind of just like all of our emotions. Most of us, we live in an addictive society and our brains, because our brains are fear-based, which is usually the the reason we're constantly seeking and finding comfort outside of ourselves is because we're afraid. Our cerebellum and our amygdala are very good at their job. They're very good at it because we needed those for so long just to survive. So it takes more work. It's kind of like there's some statistic, and I'm sure I'm quoting this wrong, that (laughs) to imprint a bad memory on your brain takes like a second. And to imprint a good memory takes like a whole minute. You know, it's like something much longer. That's how our human brains works. So a lot of times when I'm sitting with myself and when I'm having challenging emotions, and sometimes I remind myself, this is my human brain working right now. And I acknowledge my human brain. I'm like, wow, thank you, brain, for doing your best. You're doing your best to try to protect me. But actually right now, I need to go beyond that and come to a place of really sitting with this. So it is hard to do that. So a lot of people I know, especially with letting go, like there's this one move in Tai Chi Cha, it's called pulling in the energy where your hands, your hands are facing up to the sky and you're going like around a circle in front of you doing this movement. Mm-hmm. And when I did this movement, I received a correction at one of the retreats in Albuquerque. My fingers were curved and they invited me to really open, open. And I just opened and I was brought to tears. It was like a flood of, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here close. You know, I'm trying to protect myself from so many things. And the second I open, it's like, I just got my, you know, my breaths, you know, my life seat. It's like, wow. Oh my gosh, I can breathe. There's a spaciousness now to accept and be with all these life challenges, you know? So tai, that's how Tai Chi Cha, I mean, Tai Chi Cha has just made this huge impact on my life um, so that I can be here, even though being here is really scary sometimes. So. Um- I love that. So I love the facing the fear. I think a lot of this. So part of my brain is able to think, ah, oh, the people that don't, that aren't into this and don't like it and don't like to think about this. It just sounds like a lot of nonsense because as you've said, you're talking about accepting, accepting, accepting for also well-intentioned moral 
virtuous, hardworking people every day refuse to accept things and they sort of wear it. We all wear it. Sometimes entire societies or religions wear it as a badge of honor. We say, our religion is wonderful because this world is not acceptable to us. It's not good enough. This world needs to be made better. Everything can be made better. And so how do you wrestle the idea of acceptance? A lot of people bounce against Buddhism because of nihilism. They say, well, you're saying everything is nothing. Well, that means nothing matters. And the Buddhists say, well, not quite. We're just saying for the forms you see things in, there's nothing there if you dig deep enough. That's what we're saying. And then the other side, this acceptance. I think mentally I've struggled with this a while. It doesn't bother me a ton, but I, I wonder as responses to people who say, all this softening and acceptance and getting in touch with your feelings, well, how's that pay the bills? And how's that fight for the, how's that fight the good fight, you know, in social justice and, and how's that guarantee that will continue to grow and prosper if you just accept things the way they are? What does acceptance mean to you? And how do you think about that? That's a loaded topic <laughs> and a great topic and something that is discussed often in the Buddhist communities I'm a part of is especially with what's going on in our country right now and the past several years is how com compassionate action and what does Buddhism and action look like? Yeah. You know, because it's, it's not that it's not saying being cruel to other humans is nothing, right? That's, it is absolutely not that. And I don't think we'll have enough time to fully go into the intricacies of that acceptance because acceptance is something that's just done within yourself, right? As in a, a mindset, a state of mind, uh, a, a, a feeling. Acceptance yeah. is a bring you to a place, helps bring you to that place of connectedness and home, right? And if we're acting out of fear and greed, that's where we run into trouble. And unfortunately, we much of the world lives in an addictive, fear-based way. And so we're just feeding that part of our brain that's already too active. So it's a much, it's, this is like a huge, I was like, this is a whole separate podcast conversation because it is such a big topic. But so I, big. Yeah. I, I did want to touch on it because I, it, it rattles around in my brain and my understanding is a bit like yours where the acceptance is about your own understanding of how things are for you in this moment. And I think also that a lot of the problems we're seeing are not because people are getting in touch with their feelings and trying to understand the very best thing to, they think they're trying to decide the very best thing to do, but I think we can all say, well, how many times are we going to go through this war and, and violence and, and anger and, and selfishness and fear. And, and your, your key word is right there. They think. <laughs> right. They do. Right. <laughs> right. And don't believe everything you think. Yeah. So when we like in doing something like Tai Chi Cha or other practice, and I don't say Tai Chi Cha, like this is the only thing you can do. It's just sure. what I love and works for me. Um, and what I love to teach and share, but when we come from that place of loving kindness and compassion and connectedness, that's where it would be different. 
So all the people that are thinking this is the right way, this is the wrong way. You know, it's just like, you know, you talk about abortion, right? Where do people stand on that? And there's a whole spectrum there, right? right? Of what people think. Yes. Right. And I think it would be a very different situation if we were able to approach things, ways of viewing other people's opinions in compassion. How do we coexist when we view and feel differently about things in the world? Right. That's why I'm like, it's a totally different conversation. So it's like, and that's kind of what dialectical behavior therapy is in every situation. There's always a dialect all the time. Right. I want to go, I'm hungry right now. And I'm, I, I want to go eat some chocolate cake. And I also want to eat healthy today. And those don't really mesh well, do they? <laughs> but they're both true for me. Right. Both of those are true. That's exactly the challenge in all of the, and like so many, and I am overgeneralizing here, right. Just sure. to be like brief, but like, there's, I don't think there can exist a world where human people feel the exact same way about every single thing. Right. There's always going to be differences in opinions and differences in how we view the color spectrum. Right. But how can we embrace and find ways to cultivate being with each other in those differences? That's where I find if everybody practice, you know, everybody, then what would the world really look like? You know, what would this utopia look like? It's kind of like, I do watch media. I love Lord of the Rings and I love Star Wars because both of them to me are spiritual movies, right? Lord of the Rings, they can't trust the human with the ring. That's exactly it. Humans are not capable in a lot of ways because we're so fed by the addiction and the fear. It takes so much more to operate from a place that's not there. It, it sounds like nothing, but I feel like it, it sounds like a small thing. I th- and I think you Tai Chi Cha sounds like a, a small thing to try and practice that can yield big results, but it remains small in that you could this mindfulness cultivated in these ways could be in the tiniest moments of every day, but possibly as you found in your life could be transformative in your ability to think clearly and feel more and kind of just accept the way things are and then act from there, as opposed to all the hopes we have about how things could be we'd only just push hard and be different or all the ways in which you know you've already failed and so you need to be sure not to do that again because what a terrible thing that you've done those things in the past yeah sort that's of, a so. jewish thing <laughs> it's a very jewish yeah. and can't yeah. talk to the catholics it's just the guilt is a very powerful and it is in my life in everyone's life guilt is a motivator and guilt's not terrible it tells you you did something wrong and you probably shouldn't do it again but man the... but tai chi cha for me is a big thing it's not a little thing. It's a big part of my life because it's changed. It has not, I mean, it's not just accepting things because I don't accept everything. Like I still am working on things that are yeah. challenging and, but it's also like, I sleep better. I um, can, can, you know, there's so many health, my balance is better. I had vertigo issues, even Justin stone who had a stroke had, I can't remember what happened. They told him he had like maybe four or five years left to live. And that's when Sejaku came to him and he lived for like 15, 20 more years or something. It's amazing. The things I've heard that happen to people when they're practicing Tai Chi Cha. It's like, 
I can't practice. I can't promise anything. I can't say any of that. All I can say is what it's done for me and it's changed my life and it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for the practice and my aunt and Justin Stone and the if, universe. <laughs> if someone is super excited about this, so I, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of also looking into uh, dialectical therapy because I think that's fascinating. Uh, tai Chi Cha, <laughs> they're interested in Tai Chi Cha. Where, where do they go? Do they go to the library, look for a book by Justin Stone? Do they go online? Do they hunt around for a class? Some, maybe some of them live in the area and they could come to your class, but those who can't, what do they? Well, you tell me if there's places you want people to come to you, but then also large in a larger world in Tai Chi Cha, if they're curious about it, where are good places for them to go? Yes, that's a great question. So back in the day, they actually did a um, Tai Chi Cha video series that Carmen Brocklehurst had on PBS. And Justin Stone always wanted this to be accessible for people. He never wanted finances to become an issue like I can't afford to learn this. He always wanted to make them accessible. So you can, first of all, go to the Tai Chi Cha website, which I believe I'm going to double check right now is Tai Chi Cha.org. Tai Chi Cha spelled T-A-I-C-H-I-C-H-I-H.org. I'm double checking it now. Yes, that's correct. And that's okay. On that website, you can find so many resources. You can also click find a teacher. You can find me on that. I'm on there, Rachel Rillinger, R-I-L-I-N-G-E-R, to find me. And on there, you can find my classes, or you can go to my Facebook page, which is Healing Harmony. I always get this wrong. Let me double check. <laughs> it's it's facebook.com slash Healing Harmony LLCKC is my Facebook page there. I teach in the Northland, but I also teach private. And then there's um, some other teachers in the area. I think there's only three of us who are actively teaching. Um, there's also, if you go to YouTube, you can actually watch videos of Justin doing Tai Chi Cha right on YouTube. You can also buy, or I think download Justin Stone released a DVD of all the movements of Tai Chi Cha. So you can, I, it's very accessible. There's an, um, <clears throat> another woman, Amy Tyszynski, T-Y-S, oh boy, this is a tough one to spell. <laughs> I, but if I, you look up Tai Chi Cha on YouTube, her videos are one of the earlier ones anyway. And she breaks down, there's 19 movements in one pose and she breaks them down and also does the whole form. So there's tons of resources. I definitely recommend finding a teacher though in addition to those resources to help you practice, especially daily, if you can, even if it's just one movement, um, but a teacher can be there to watch you. I know I taught, you know, my aunt taught me, but then she'd go back to Hawaii. So I would use the videos to learn. And I remember the first time I went to a teacher, it was like, wow, I was making, there was a lot of improvement. <laughs> you know, you, it's kind of like you, you think you're doing it. And then someone watches you and he goes, no, you're actually doing something totally different, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Cause we have this perception issue, right? So, so yes, I tried to list those all really quickly because I know we're running out of time. So no, that was exactly, that was exactly <laughs> perfect. Um, is, is there um, one hurdle that you've noticed in sort of talking through the years to people about Tai Chi Cha? Is there one thing that seems to, so that people won't take the step of exploring it? Is there a part of it that we're, that they think is, is there a corny part of it or something that they don't like about out of the movements is, and that people could 
think about or noodle on so that they wouldn't stop with that very first roadblock that keeps them from digging into it? Boy, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because I don't know if anybody's ever told me, oh, I wanted to do <laughs> yeah, it, they probably didn't didn't do it right. because, you know, <laughs> I guess I think a lot of people sometimes roadblocks are just like, you know, learning something new and thinking, oh, I don't have time in my life to, to add something else. Yeah, I guess would be a roadblock. And so like, like I was saying earlier, briefly, even just doing one movement a day, you get benefits all the time. You don't have to practice for an hour to get the benefits. You can practice for five minutes if that's all you have. So it's meant to be accessible. It's meant to fit into your life. Like I remember I did a hike with my aunt and there's 19 movements in one pose and we did one movement and then hiked for five minutes. And then we did another movement and then we hiked and then, you know, we kind of spread it out throughout the day, (laughs) throughout the hike and through doing things. So it's, so it's meant to be accessible and it's meant to be a joy. Tai Chi Cha is known as joy through movement. And that's exactly what it's meant to be. It's how do we bring more joy into our lives? 